Today's scripture is Matthew 10, 16 through 23. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. This Gospel of Matthew that we've been going through for some time now is, is sort of roughly chronological. I've mentioned this before, but it's not uh, you know, sort of purely chronological. Matthew gives us a chunk of... Uh, The first four chapters are to introduce Jesus as the Christ, the the Messiah. That's sort of the point of the book of Matthew to prove that he's the Christ. Then Matthew gives us a long section of just Jesus' teaching. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. Then he gave us a long uh, section, relatively long, of just Jesus' miracles. And now, that last week, we started what's going to be another section of only his teaching and no more miracles. Probably, you know, his life didn't work out that way. These things aren't purely chronological. They're grouped together more topically the way Matthew wants to, to give us that, which is, which is fine, which is good. And, and this relatively long section of teaching that we started last week sometimes is called the missionary discourse of Jesus. Last week, Jesus grabbed his 12 closest disciples and he sent them out two by two. They're sent out. That's why he called them apostles, which is a title for a special group of guys. It just means they're sent ones. And he told them, you're going to go through Israel and tell Israel the message I've been saying thus far. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near. Go tell Israel the Messiah is here and his name is Jesus. And he gave those apostles, his message and his methods. He told them, he gave them his authority so that they could work the the miracles just like he's been working to, to validate their message. But he told them in last week's passage, in those first 15 verses of chapter 10, that that miraculous power couldn't be used for their own benefit or comfort. They had to live like Jesus, which was just be led by the Spirit, depend upon the Father to work through people to give you guys what you will need to survive, a place to stay and food. Don't take cash, don't take extra supplies. Walk by faith. And so Jesus took a difficult job. Go through Israel and tell them that I'm the the Messiah they've been waiting for. And he made it harder. Don't take extra supplies. Don't take cash. 
And then today he's going to take that job that he had made harder and make it seem just darn near impossible. Because here's what he's going to say today. He's going to say, when you take this message out there, the Jews are going to hate you. The Romans are going to hate you. Your family might hate you. And if there's anybody else I'm leaving off the list, they may hate you too. And they might flog you, beat you, imprison you. Some of you might be turned over to death. And I want you to know, no matter how hard you work, you'll never finish. Now, good luck out there. Go get them. Ever been faced with a job that just seemed too big? Ever been to the Black Hills of South Dakota? Anybody, anybody ever gone up there? You, you, did you go to the Crazy Horse Memorial while you were, over, while you were up there? All right, you talk about a big job. That thing is stupid big. I mean, it's big. It's, viewing it, you don't even get the concept of how big it really is because I think you're like a mile away when you're looking at that thing. It's many times bigger than Mount Rushmore. If they ever get it done, it'll be the largest mountain carving anywhere ever by a long shot. But I'm not sure they'll ever get that thing done. And here's when that hit me. While we were there, they told us, you know, if you wait, they're going to they're gonna detonate some dynamite on the mountain. They're going to blow part of the mountain off. And I'm like, all right, yeah, okay, we'll stay for that. This is now we're vacationing, folks. We got explosives. And we waited and they started this countdown, the anticipation built, and they, they, they detonated this dynamite. And I'm telling you, it looked like somebody blew a cotton ball off that mountain. It was like, poof. And we were like, what? Are they lighting black cats up there now? But it was very anticlimactic. But what it told me was, all of a sudden it started to hit us. That wasn't a black cat. That was dynamite. And we are so far away. And that means that mountain is so huge that it made a dynamite explosion seem like a black cat. And I started, that, that's, a, that's a huge job. They may never get this thing done. I think that's what the disciples, the apostles, might have felt like about halfway through what Jesus tells them today. You're never going to get this done, and everyone's going to hate you. But Jesus also tells them and tells us how to pull this off. How, how do you live life on mission for Jesus? Everything basically that, that Jesus tells his disciples today does apply to us in the mission he has sent us on. Our mission's a little different than this mission of the apostles. We talked about that last week. But if we live life on mission, the stuff he warns the disciples about may be true of us. How do we pull this off? Well, if you are someone who has a short attention span, this is the sermon for you. Not because it's short, but because Derek's nodding his head vigorously over here. Uh, Because the main point of the sermon is the first verse that Duane read for us is the entire point of this passage, of this sermon, probably this whole chapter. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. I even found a slide that has pictures on it to help, okay? Uh, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep 
surrounded by wolves. So be wise or wary uh, or, or shrewd as serpents, as snakes, and harmless as doves. That's the main point. That's what we're going to talk about today. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. I am sending you out. I am commissioning you for a job you are to do. And I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. Uh, First, always remember this. Those of us who are Christians, who if we're going to live life on mission, we want to see people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we have to remember this. We're sheep, they're sheep. We're not superior to anyone who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. We just know the shepherd that they need to know. But it's going to be dangerous out there. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep surrounded by wolves. I really don't think I need to explain that metaphor, do I? That's pretty clear. Like This is not the part where I need to break down. Like I don't know if you're aware of this, but wolves will eat sheep. Isn't Jesus saying it's going to, you're going to feel vulnerable? You live life on mission for me, you're, you may get attacked. It'll feel dangerous. You'll feel outgunned and exposed. So how do you survive on mission for Jesus when, when you're a sheep surrounded by wolves? Well, Jesus tells us. You see it? The way you survive is this. Be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. That's the, that's the survival manual for living life on mission for Jesus Christ. Be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. And I want to explain to you what that means to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Just not yet. Because first, I want to go through relatively quickly the rest of the passage, which is where Jesus basically tells us how the wolves might attack or where the wolves might come from. Everything else in this passage is Jesus describing how wolves attack his sheep that know the shepherd. He tells us four sort of types of wolf attacks. He tells us that uh, we might be attacked by religious people. We might be attacked by government. The wolves might attack out of our own families. And then he says, even everyone else. First, in verse 17, Jesus tells us, beware of people. (laughs) I like that. I'm sending you out as sheep surrounded by wolves. It's going to be dangerous out here. You know you got to be careful of people. People are the worst. Watch out for them. They'll hand you over to councils, is what Jesus tells them. These are the leaders of local synagogues. They'll flog you in their synagogues. Here's what Jesus is telling these 12 guys. Your idea of local religion, you'll, you'll face wolf attacks from religious people. For these guys, it would be Jews. But Jews aren't the only religious people that might be wolves who attack those who take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. Not by a long shot. By and large, religious people hate the gospel. By and large, religion is opposed to the gospel. Here's why. The gospel, which is a word that just means good news, the gospel always starts with the bad news. 
The gospel says no matter what you do, you cannot be good enough to where you can feel like because of what I've done, I am acceptable to God. God looks at me based on my track record and he says, yeah, Maxwell is acceptable to me. He's good enough. I'll never get there. The gospel says I can't be good enough. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't avoid enough bad things and I can't do enough religious stuff. I can't go to the right building, stand in front of the right holy man who pronounces the right words over me To where God says, oh, because he went there and that guy said that, then he's good. The gospel says, you'll never be righteous that way. The only way I will ever be found righteous in the sight of God is if I believe that when when Jesus went to the cross, all the greatest trade-off in the history of the universe happened. How's this for a good deal? All of my unrighteousness and your unrighteousness was placed on him. And then God takes his perfect track record of righteousness and places it on your account. That's what the book of Romans tells us happens when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The only way anybody will ever appear righteous before God is if they place their faith, faith alone in Jesus alone. So the reason religious people don't like the gospel is because the gospel says you don't need religion to be redeemed, to be saved. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that some of you close up your Bibles and leave then. I'm not saying you shouldn't be here. Because once I am saved, once I realize I'm poor in spirit, I'm meek, and I'm all those beatitudes that we talked about months ago, once I am saved and I know Jesus is my only hope, I want more of him because he's the only thing that satisfies. He's the only thing that makes me righteous. He's my hope. He's my joy. And so then, because I am redeemed, I want to meet him in his word and, and, and live with him. But when people start to take the pure, unpacked gospel into the world, religious people will attack that. Um, the Todd Becker Foundation, you ever heard of the Todd Becker Foundation? They'll be here uh, in, in November. Uh, it's an organization headquartered in, gos- in, in gospel, in Kearney, that takes the gospel into public schools. Very clear presentation of the gospel. Um, on the local level, Guess where the Todd Becker Foundation gets most of its opposition? Churches. Giant air quote, Christian churches. Churches that don't want someone to hear, faith alone is enough. Churches that want to hear, listen, if you want to get to know God, You better be in this kind of church, in front of this kind of man, do these kind of ceremonies, and if you don't, you are not in. And because the Todd Becker Foundation doesn't preach that message, we do not want it here. My opinion? That is a wolf attack from religious people that do not like the gospel. Jesus said, if you take, if you live life on this message. You'll be sheep surrounded by wolves. Some of those wolves will be religious people. But not just religious people. In the next three verses, 
Jesus tells his disciples, uh, it's not just the religious people that don't like you, the pagan people won't like you either. The, uh, the government, the government might be against you at times. He says, you'll be brought before governors and kings, that's government, because of me. They'll hand you over for trial. Um, most of us will never experience this kind of wolf attack. Never stop being thankful for where we live. Because there are places in the world, I know, don't email me, okay? I know there are Americans who have faced persecution because of the faith. But it's the exception, not the rule. There are places where the opposite of that is true. The people who are upfront with the gospel by rule are persecuted, not exception. I do want you to notice something in here that does apply to us very clearly, though. And it may be, it might not always be like that here. I'll tell you this, Jesus hasn't been wrong. During one point in the last 2,000 years since he sent us out in the Great Commission mission, there's never been a period of time where what he says here has not been true for Christians somewhere. That they're being tried and imprisoned and beaten and executed for their faith. There are more Christians dying because they're Christians now than in the days when the Roman Empire was feeding us to lions and stuff like that. That's true. But I want you to notice this. Jesus says something that's striking and a little scary and pretty heavy to consider here. If you look in verse 19... Jesus says, whenever they hand you over for trial, does Jesus say, that means you get a pass on being on mission for Jesus? Is that what he says? No. How do you figure out what to say if, if a Christian gets arrested for being a Christian? Do you use worry and anxiety to decide what you should say? No, because if you use fear and worry and anxiety to decide what to say, you will say whatever it takes to get yourself let off scot-free. And Jesus says, don't worry about how to speak and what to say. Ask me. Because the the truth of the gospel for the last 2,000 years is The gospel has spread the best, not when governments appear to be friendly toward Christianity, but when they try to stomp it out. And Jesus said, if you ask me, I may want you to get off. I may want you to be my witness in that courtroom, in that prison. Um, But ask to be led of me, even if you are arrested. Here's why I think that applies to us. Jesus said, even if we get arrested... We're maybe facing execution. That doesn't cancel our mission. How much pressure does it take us most of the time to stop talking about Jesus, stop talking about our faith? It doesn't take that much pressure, does it? Jesus said, sometimes wolf attacks will come from the government. Third, it may hit even much closer to home than that. In verse 21, Jesus said, if you, go, if you begin to live your life on mission for me, you might find wolf attacks coming out of your own family, your siblings, your parents, your children. This verse made me think of a, a friend that, that Dennis Kuhneman met in Kazakhstan, a guy named Anarbek. 
He grew up in a Muslim, at least culturally Muslim family. He came to know Jesus as Savior. In his language, he calls him Isu, I think, or something like that. Um, his, not, his family turned on him. His village turned on him. They beat him as a village, and he had to run away. He stayed on mission for Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, his wife, because uh, I've had it, will make you the meanest horse and noodles you've ever eaten in your life. I mean, it is really good, and that is not a joke. Um, good news, many of his family have turned back not only to him, but are beginning to t- turn toward the Lord Jesus because of his ministry. And then next in verse 22, just in case he's left out some category of people, in verse 22, Jesus said, everyone might become a wolf. All, your Bible might say. There's no class of folks that might not hate someone who lives life on mission for Jesus Christ. I want to, this verse requires some comment, I think. It's a, Jesus says, you'll be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's some things Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is not saying you're not a real Christian unless everyone hates you. That's not what he's saying, not by a long shot. Um, He is saying there's no like sort of person, no kind of person who might not. And then at the end, he's also not saying this. Let's say you do face some negative pressure for your faith and you chicken out. Does that mean you won't be saved? Because he said the one who endures till the end will be saved. No. You're not saved by anything you do. You're saved by what you do with Jesus and what he did. So here's what Jesus is saying here. When you find yourself attacked by the wolf, when you are persecuted somehow for your faith, you face that negative pressure because you're living life for the gospel, you have two choices. You can save yourself or you can wait for me to save you. And we get a promise right here. The one who endures, I will save from this persecution. Ultimately, ultimately, there's been many innumerable Christians over the last 2,000 years who were saved through their death. Not from their death. But that promise endures. The one who hangs in there, stays in the boat with Jesus, as we like to say around here. Through that persecution, I promise you there's something better coming. I will save them from that. It will be worth it. Don't save yourself. Depend upon me to save you. And then the last verse of the passage this morning, Jesus says a couple of notable things. He says it this way, whenever they persecute you in one place, flee to another. Now there's something interesting. At times, it's okay to walk away from the wolf attack. Right? At times, it is, you don't have to keep banging your head against that same wall. But, then he immediately says, but you're never going to be done. Just because you felt it in one place doesn't mean you're done. You just have to go someplace else and try again. He tells his disciples, you guys aren't even going to get through the towns of Israel before I return again. Here's what he's saying. We are never going to get to the point where we can say, well, 
We're done. I've done my bit. We will never be done with this mission. All right, all of that. Sounds like a big, tough job, doesn't it? It's a job we'll never finish. Everyone is a candidate to start hating us. So how do we, how do we survive? How do we, how do we get by? When he says, and you can't stop, not if you're arrested, not if you're persecuted, not if you're hated. So now we go back to where we started. How do we stay on mission, live life on mission for Jesus Christ when we're like sheep surrounded by wolves? Well, Jesus said, be wise or be shrewd as serpents or wary as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, I want to tell you how to survive in that vulnerable calling where wolf attacks can come from any corner. What does it mean to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves? That's the rest of our time this morning. First, be honest. Does it bother anybody that Jesus told us to be like snakes? I mean, just a little bit. Anybody? Um, I mean, Satan appeared as a serpent, right? Um, they're, they're kind of the universal symbol for evil. And yet Jesus told us to somehow emulate snakes. Um, important to understand, he really tells us to only emulate, emulate one thing about snakes. There's something about the wisdom of real live snakes that we're supposed to emulate on mission for Jesus. We're not supposed to like shed our skin and bite people. Okay? We're just supposed to be wise as serpents. Jesus does this sometimes where he'll take one quality of something that's generally bad and say, it's okay to emulate that one quality. Here's one example. Jesus will tell his disciples later in this book of Matthew, when I return, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And he told his disciples, I'm going to return like a what? Like a thief in the night. Does that mean Jesus is going to come back and steal your stereo? Is that what that means? It just means it's unexpected. One quality of a bad thing that's not in and of itself bad. Okay, so what does it mean though to be wise or shrewd as a serpent? First, one thing I like about this statement is Jesus tells us to be wise. There are too many people who think you have to be an idiot to believe this stuff. To be a Christian, you've got to check your brain in at the door. Right? Gullibility is not something Jesus wanted us to emulate. We're supposed to be wise. We're supposed to be discerning. This is a logical, ordered, reasonable faith that we believe evidence. But again, what does it mean to be wise like snakes? If you think about it, Snakes also are a little bit like sheep surrounded by wolves. Are, are there a lot of things that would just as well kill every snake they see? Yes, many of you are in the audience this morning, right? How many of you would just as soon a snake die as live, right? Well, but snakes, and it's not just humans. There's a lot of birds. There's a lot of animals, 
that would just soon kill any snake they see. So, but snakes not only survive, they thrive everywhere, on every continent. I'm not counting Antarctica. Don't email me. Even though they're hated everywhere, snakes are doing great. So how do you survive? See how they're kind of like sheep surrounded by wolves? That's the survival skills is what we're supposed to emulate. How do snakes survive when everybody hates them? Now we're getting somewhere. You could make this list, couldn't you? Here's how they survive. They survive, they thrive, because they are, they're, they are everywhere present. They're quiet. They're patient. They are everywhere, even though you don't know they're there. They can blend into every culture, every place, right? They're not self-aggrandizing. They don't go out looking for fights, only in like movies. But they are always hunting. They're patient, they're quiet, they're there, and they are looking, they're opportunistic. They're looking for the opportunity to fulfill their mission, which is survival. So how's a Christian supposed to be wise like a serpent? We're supposed to be present. We're supposed to be engaged. Every culture, everywhere in the world. We're supposed to be not aggressive, not looking for fights, but patient and opportunistic. Looking for an opportunity, a good opportunity to fulfill our mission, which is to make disciples who make disciples. That, I think is how we're supposed to be snake-like. We're also supposed to be innocent as doves. While being snake-like, so we're supposed to be present, alert, patient. Jesus tells us to be innocent as doves. Doves have long been a symbol, even from biblical times, a symbol of, of peace, of innocence, of integrity. Doves aren't abrasive, they're not aggressive, they're not, a violent, they're not violent, that's supposed to be us also. Nothing will draw negative attention to the Christian, or maybe I should say nothing hampers a Christian's testimony and purpose on their mission than failing in dove-likeness. Some public sin, some fight I don't need to be in, some failure in my integrity, and what do people what do people do automatically? Oh, those Christians, right? They think they're so good, right? This dove-like quality seek to be at peace. Paul said, "With all men, as far as it is with me, maintain my integrity." Um. But again, always looking for that opportunity. Now, serpent, I'm present, I'm patient, I'm looking, I'm always looking for an opportunity, but I don't compromise. Maintain my integrity. Innocent. The next thing I I think needs to be explained 
is that make sure you notice Jesus, this is not either or. Jesus didn't say, be wise as serpents or innocent as doves. It's both. Because naturally, all of us tend to be, most of us anyway, tend to be more like one than the other. And anytime we major on our snake-likeness or major on our dove-likeness, we're doing it wrong. We're not being what Jesus wanted us to be. Describe these, maybe these errors. The more aggressive among us. If you are somebody who, who tends to like a good argument sometimes, probably you're more likely to make the error where you're more snake and less dove. Some of us want to be wise like serpents and have his quick venomous bite also. Right? We want to be wise as serpents, shoot the dove, wrap him in bacon, and grill that bad boy. Right? It takes a lot of bacon to be able to eat a dove. Sorry. Um, I really think this is a problem in American Christianity in 2018, guys. I think a good segment of American Christians right now act like Jesus told us to be wise as serpents and attack like wolves. Spend some time on Facebook or Twitter. Christians hunt in packs and are ravenously just as mean as anybody on the other side. The way we engage unbelievers, maybe in real life too, but definitely on social media, seems a lot more snake-like and wolf-like to me. And I get it. I mean, I get, you know, we're so mad, we're not going to take this anymore. And we can boycott, right? And we can trigger the libs. And we can shout down, and we can find this argument, we can tell them why they're wrong, and I'll find everything wrong with your theological position, right? We'll pile on, and then stop telling me to stop, because it's, it's time we make some changes around here, right? I watch seven hours of Fox News every day, and I'm good and angry, right? Listen, I know non-Christians out there, they do that stuff. They boycott everything. They sling mud. They call names. They do all that stuff. Yeah, they're wolves. Don't ask a wolf to act like a dove. It's against their nature. That's how wolves act. And by the way, it's exactly how Jesus spent the the bulk of this passage telling us non-believers would behave like wolves. But he never gave us permission to behave like that just because they do. You know, when it's so easy to see it in your kids. Well, he started it. He did it first. And you go, man, that's not an excuse. And then you grow up and guess what we do? As Christians, when we, when we strike like snakes, when we're venomous like snakes, when we hunt in packs like wolves, the world will hate us all right. 
but not for the acceptable reason Jesus told us the world would. In verses 18 and 22 in this passage, Jesus said, if we live for him, the world will hate us because of him, because of the gospel. There's no other acceptable reason, really. And it's really, really easy. Trust me, I've lived this. It's really, really easy to act like a jerk, to get hated, and then fall back on the excuse, well, the reason they hate me is because I'm so Christian. It turns out people hate mean people, and prideful people, and selfish people, and self-righteous people. And it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. We're to imitate the wisdom of the serpent only. Not his bite. And nothing of the wolf. Now, the other error is just as wrong. Some of us are much more likely to be all dove or mostly dove and no snake. So we want to imitate the survival tactics of the dove. How do doves survive? By trying to never be anywhere where there's any danger or discomfort. Right? There's no engagement. They're not present when there's anything difficult. Some of us know what is absolutely true, that if I want to avoid the things that Jesus described, you know, uh, you know hatred, wolf attack, from all those different places anywhere, if I never, if I'm not on mission... I never bring up anything spiritual or Jesus or I don't, or when the heat comes on, I'll just, I'll violate my integrity in what I say I believe if it will help you accept me. I'm all acceptance all the time. That's I'm way more dove and not enough snake. When we, when we overdove, I just made that up. When we overdove, We've given ourselves permission to stop a mission Jesus told us would never be over for reasons he told us were inadequate to stop. When, we're, when we overdove, we, we have no intentionality in relationships. Um, we want to get me recognized and accepted rather than Jesus recognized and accepted. We lose that snake-like awareness uh, um, op- looking for opportunity. I probably need to, to sum this up. And we can do that again by looking at the first verse. I love when the Bible does this. It gives me the main idea uh, so I can't mess it up. Behold, Jesus said, check this out, pay attention, looky here. That's what behold means. I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. So, to survive, be wise, be shrewd as serpents, be innocent as doves. Here's how I'd sum this up this morning. We are still being sent out by Jesus. You won't be done till the Son of Man comes. Has he come back? Did I miss him? No, then we're not done. Is it scary? Does it, does it make anxiety 
fears well up in me because I don't want to be rejected and I don't want to be... Yeah. Yeah. But we have this promise from Jesus. If I endure that, he will save me. And anytime he can save me, it will be better than the best way I can save me. So, if we're going to survive, we're going to stay on mission, if we're going to... And understand, this is the missionary uh, you know, passage. You don't have to live in the Congo to be a missionary. We live in our mission field. There's hundreds, there's thousands of people in southwest Nebraska that don't know Christ. Are we serpent-like? Are we present? Are we there? Are we mixed in? Are we intentional without being self-promoting, aggressive? You know, that's one good thing you can learn from snakes. You know what self-promotion gets a snake? Like chopped up with a spade. That's what self-promotion gets a snake. So be there, be intentional, look for opportunities while being innocent as a dove. When that opportunity comes, a negative pressure starts When somebody starts to go, wait a second, are you talking about religion or Jesus or whatever? Don't overdove on them. Don't fly away. Don't sacrifice the integrity of your walk to preserve peace. Remember I told you about Annerbeck, the guy whose family turned on him, his village turned on him. Uh, he, he was beaten by you know, his society, the only place he'd ever lived, and his family. He hung in there. Guess how Jesus saved him from that? Not by making all the people drop dead who were beating him. The beating happened. But now he's starting to see them turn. Now, decades later, He's starting to see people like his family, like his, the people from his you know, town. Think, man, there's something different about you and there's something different about Isu, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that this this mission you sent us on started when you went on the mission. You left your comfort, your glory, and you came wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, to, to be present in our lives, our world. And you, you engaged the the, the world run by wolves. And when the conflict began, you did not shrink. You did not overdove. You did not fly away. You depended upon the Father to sit. When you endured to the end, you knew He would save you, not from your death, but through it. Thank you for being our example of what it looks like to be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Thank you for giving that us that as a manual of how to live in this world in, in southwest Nebraska on mission for you. 
because there is a world full of sheep that are just like us, only they have not been rescued with the rescue with which we've been rescued. They don't know the shepherd. And we want them to, Lord. They're not our enemies. They're sheep like us who need to know the shepherd. Help us to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, And you, Lord, through us, through this church, have an impact on Southwest Nebraska for eternity. And thank you that no matter what, how we are attacked, we will be saved by you if we endure. In Jesus' name, amen. It's time to uh, celebrate what we call communion once a month. What we are celebrating today is the ultimate, the ultimate in being wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Just what I described in that prayer, Jesus was present. He was looking for the right opportunity. And when it came, he did not shrink back. He endured to the end, waiting on the Father to save him. And that is how we are saved as the guys come forward I'll play I'll pray a blessing on our bread Heavenly Father I thank you so much for sending your son our Lord Jesus wise as a serpent innocent as a dove to to feel the wolf the wolfiest wolf attack nailed to a tree beaten humiliated stripped thank you Lord Jesus for not shrinking back for enduring that wolf attack is what we deserve but you endured it so that you might save us we love you Lord we remember what you did at the cross commune with us now in Jesus name amen You know how Jesus taught in today's passage that wolf attacks might come from people close to you, your family or everyone? Well, check this out. The night he was betrayed, he was in what we call the upper room, sharing the Passover meal with his friends he knew would become wolves. It's the thing about being sheep like us, we can be so wolf-like. He knew they would betray him, deny him, run away from him. Even then, there was not an ounce of wolf in him. He washed their feet, the feet that would run away from him. And he picked up the bread and and he broke it and he said, this is my body. I'm doing this for you. You can't run out on me enough. You can't betray me. You can't deny me. You can't can't out sin. My love for you. And I won't attack you like the wolves. He's just so much not like us. I won't treat you the way you treat me. This is my body, broken for you. He asks us, do this in remembrance of him.
Jesus, as the, as the cup comes around, we thank you for the blood that was sufficient for the forgiveness of all our sin. In your name, because of your blood, we pray. Amen.